my diary is peppered with things that give me energy and richness of life and variety and happiness. So I don't fit my happy things around bloody work. I fit work around my happy things. This is the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast with me, Al Kenny, and my partner in crime, Mark Billows Bilby. This is the place where we shine a light on the brilliance and the truth of the human condition, whilst blow up the illusions that get in our way. How are you doing, Mark? Are you good? I'm good, my friend. I'm uh, excited to have our special guest today, a man we know very well from our previous existence and uh, somebody who uh, I think is going to point to a few gems. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, let's not waste any time. We might as well get this man into the room for everybody. Um, so today with us, we have Andy Bounds. And as Mark said, like we've known Andy for a long time. If anyone was like, oh, what's Andy Bounds? What does he do? It's really simple. He helps businesses and people be more successful by communicating, selling, and just doing things better than they ever thought imaginable, I think, and, and probably in the most simple ways possible. Um, he worked with us, I was just reminiscing before the call with Andy, it's like, it's going back probably the best part of 10 years ago when we started working together, and it was one of the single best investments we made because, um, you know, I was probably thinking it's a, a multiple of 10 to 20x was the difference Andy made in terms of investment into our sales team and and the go-to-market um, organization and, and the return that that generated, which is just cool. Um, but some other people might know him as he's UK's um, number one sales trainer. He's best-selling author three times over, The Jelly Effect, The Snowball Effect, and Top Dog. And he works with people and companies in over 50 countries. So... That's uh, an introduction for you to live up to, Andy. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, I like that you said you're excited I'm here because you won't be excited soon, so let's see how we get on. <laughs> <laughs> Fan fantastic. Well, Andy, look, when we... This podcast is, in one sense, it's got a really simple premise, which is we believe that innate brilliance is part of every single human being and that they have a capacity to create and and be as magnificent as they want to be and that they can see they can be. But that there's often just illusions and there's things that get in the way of that innate brilliance. And so we love to kind of find our best ways possible to point to that um, and to, you know, what we call blowing up illusions that just get in people's way so that they can leave these discussions with, I guess, a deeper sense of themselves in some ways, and also some practical things that are like, huh, I can just go and do that now. And so um, uh, that's, that's kind of the conversation today. And we would love, myself and Mark were just thinking about this, you know, we would love if you maybe would share a little bit just about your story and your background and like what you've come to see about, I guess, human nature through that and the, and the possibility that exists through your own story. And then we'll kind of use that as a, a launch pad for lots of other discussions, no doubt. Okay, thank you. So extremely quickly then, uh, and feel free to interrupt if this goes on a bit too much. Um, so as you say, my job is to help people be more successful. I do it through the prism of communication, because when you think about it, 
communicate how good you are at communicating absolutely impacts on how good your life is. The only time communication isn't relevant is when you're on your own and you think of an idea on your own that you don't tell anybody about for the rest of time. I mean, that just doesn't happen very much. Every conversation, every email, every presentation, every chat, every, I don't know, proposal, every everything has an impact on your happiness. And my background, you mentioned my mum is blind, so she can't see it all. So when I was a kid learning how to speak, I was fixated really on how can I explain the world so my mum doesn't miss out. So I became really good at describing stuff, I guess, to someone who doesn't see the world the way I do. And as I've come into adult land, what I've realized is nobody sees the world the way we do. They have different priorities to us. If you're selling, customers don't see why they should see you. They don't see why they should give you any money. They don't see why they should choose you. Um, if, you talk, if you're a leader and you're talking to your team and you say, I've got a brilliant new strategy, and the team think, yeah, but that sounds like quite hard work for me. So you think you've got these great things, but people just don't see the world the way we do. So if we can just unpick that, properly put ourselves in their shoes, I mean, properly, not pretend, but properly see the world the way they do, well, we're able to communicate much better and achieve much more stuff. And everyone benefits. It's not just you, but it's them as well. I'm stopping now because it's getting ranty. <laughs> <laughs> and if I may, like picking up on that. So, um, you, know, you know, seeing the way, understanding the view that others have of the world and their experience of the world, what, what, what would your, be your sort of advice your, your cliff notes based on all of your experience and what, what you've developed in terms of your methodology and your approach, particularly around communication, how do you start to unpack and put yourself in other people's shoes? Okay, so two ways, really. Um, number one is ask, and number two is lead. And what I mean by ask is prepare good questions, as in literally, Mark, sit down and prepare. What am I going to ask here? Uh, nobody does this, right? So what they do is they might spend a long time thinking, what am I going to say? What are my main messages? What do I want people to hear? But as we all know, the best communications are interactive. And the best way to make it interactive is to ask them stuff. And the best way to ask good stuff is to prepare the questions you're going to ask. So I spend a long time working out the best questions to ask to really find what drives people. And I did that by, yes, talking to other salespeople, but also talking to other professions where questioning is essential to their success. So attorneys need to be good at questioning or they're not going to win the case. Counselors, consultants, um, anyone like hostage negotiators, even spoke to people like that, you know, I just ask as many people as I can, what are the best questions you ask? What do you find really helps you? So however long you've spent preparing good questions to ask, almost always isn't enough because you can always be better at it. So that's the first one. So ask. And you might think, Andy, why is there anything else? The trouble is, if you ask people stuff, they don't know what they don't know. So sometimes you have to lead them as well. So when I speak to people, I'll ask them questions and so on. But then I'll lead them by saying, in my experience, when I've spoken to other people who've said what you've just said, they often can have issues with A or B or C. Do any of those resonate with you? And they go, oh, yeah, actually, now you mention it, B. And I go, oh, tell me more about that. And then we're off again. So you've got to be good at asking questions, but also you have to teach them things they didn't know they didn't know. So they're my two things. Ask, lead. I'm surprised that, the, that um, listen wasn't in there. Well, 
It is because, well, <laughs> I didn't say it, but if you ask, clearly you're going to listen, right? I mean, it's a funny thing about listening because people often say, do you think you're above average at listening? And every single person I've met thinks they're above average at listening. Like everyone does. You do, you do, Mark, I do. We all think we're above average. How many people are listening to this? Let's say, what you want now? 80 billion? So you've got 80 billion people listening to this. And I bet every one of the 80 billion thinks they're above average at listening. And then you have to point out how averages work. Right? <laughs> so of the 80 billion people listening to us here, 40 billion are worse than average because that's what an average is. So we all think we're above average, but half of us aren't. Yeah. Now, the only way to be really good at listening is, yes, you have to ask good questions out, but then you have to shut up and let them speak. That's why my favorite question in the world of all the study I've done over the years, my favorite question in the world is, tell me more. You know, so you ask your question, they say something, you go, oh, tell me more about that. Because if you say, tell me more, then you probably begin to find out what other people think. But they see what often happens are people think they're listening, but actually they're just waiting for their turn to speak. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like you say to someone, how was your day today? And you go, oh, it was a bit of a disaster really because an elephant ate my head. And then someone goes, yeah, I saw an elephant on telly <laughs> once the other day. And they think that he's really? just an elephant at his head. Say, tell me more <laughs> about that. But we don't. We use what they say to prompt us to speak. Whereas if you say, tell me more, it forces you to shut up and it forces you to listen and it forces you to wait, W-A-I-T, which I think stands for why am I talking <laughs> Andy when um, as as you've sort of uh, developed uh, you know from the time you were describing the world to your mom and, and then the work you got into and, and you know the work you've done with the, the, the good and the great of the fortune 100 um, have you witnessed a uh, an, an evolution or unlocking of your consciousness in that, you know, we often use the symbol of the fist being when you're in the basement of your consciousness and you're operating from a place of fear and then the open hand, which is the ultimate symbol of creativity and, and innovation. Uh, and that's when you're in the sort of penthouse of your consciousness where you're, you know, you're empathetic and you're, and you are leaning in, you're listening, you're doing a lot of asking the right questions. Have you sort of witnessed an evolution within yourself and a realization or an awareness within yourself as you've sort of developed your, your craft? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Yes, I have. Um, and I wasn't aware of it to start with, but then I started reflecting and thought, I'm better now than I was. And I can tell I was because my clients' results are better than they were. What am I doing differently? You know? And there was two things which I found were life-changing when I realized them, um, afters and stories. So what I mean by afters, you've heard me talk about this a lot, so my apologies. So for the 80 billion people listening, what I mean by afters is this, sorry to burst your bubble, everyone, nobody cares at all what you do. They don't care about your job title, they don't care about your deliverables. What they care about is the afters, why are they better off after you've done it, okay? So nobody cares that I'm a sales consultant. Nobody cares that I deliver masterclasses. What they care about is after I finished, their sales have gone up by 20%. Yeah. So nobody wants me. They want more sales. When you buy an attorney, you don't want the attorney. You just don't want to go to jail. 
when you speak to a wonderful tax accountant, you don't want a tax account. I mean, who wants a tax accountant? But after seeing her, hopefully you're not going to pay as much tax anymore. So nobody wants us. They want the afters of, uh, of us. So the time when my fist became open was when I suddenly realized people weren't paying for me. They paid for what happened after me. And that's really liberating because if you do have these internal barriers, these illusions you set up thinking, I'm not sure I can justify X amount per hour. I'm not sure I can justify X amount of money that's in my head, you know? But they think, no, they're not paying for the hour. They're not paying for what's in my head. They're paying for what happens after they've had an hour with me and the stuff's come out of my head and the sales have gone up. And all of a sudden, if you charge a thousand pounds an hour or whatever the number is, well, that's outrageous for an hour. Why would anyone pay that for an hour? But if you charge a thousand pounds and they make sales of a billion pounds, well, that's a pretty good return on investment. So afters was one thing. I realized my job wasn't to do stuff. My job was to cause stuff for other people. That was very liberating. And the other one, Mark, was stories. So I then looked back to find evidence that I delivered those afters. So you said before about how when we worked together, your sales went up by sort of 10, 20%. That's a good story. When I worked with one of the UK's largest banks, they want to deal with two and a half billion pounds. And that, so after that, they won two and a half billion. After me, you went up by 10, 20%. After so-and-so, they're at ROI of 11,000%. And so you get, if you focus on the afters and you focus on the stories that provide evidence you deliver those afters, then it's not that you get cocky and arrogant. You just have this quiet, inner calm certainty that you're a valuable asset for people because after you, their lives seem to be better. Am I explaining that all right? Does that make sense? Perfectly. Yeah. And I, I guess the follow-on question to that is, in the work that you do, focusing as you do from that open hand sort of perspective and, and focusing on the afters and ultimately what they're going to get out of it, did you notice a process whereby this became not about you and it became about being in service of others. It's sort of, you sort of transcended the self. Because I know you're, I know from the work we've done with you, you're a selfless guy because mm -hmm. I've seen how you operate. Mm -hmm. But but obviously underneath all of that, you you still want to live a certain lifestyle and you've got aspirations of your own. But But the work that you do and the way in which you go about it, you seem to sort of transcend the self quite effortlessly. Yeah, I feel very comfortable with that. And it ties into the afters and stories thing. So if I, what's the way to put this? So if I feel that after someone's worked with me, they're going to be in a better place, I think I'm doing them a disservice if I don't help them because I could help them. So in the old days, when I first started, it was almost like, please buy from me because me, I need money and me, I need to be successful. But after a bit, because of my after some stories, I had evidence it was working. So I began to feel that if someone wants my help and I feel a bit uncomfortable about it, I need to get over myself because if I help them, let's say, win a million pounds of sales, well, if I can't get over myself, I don't help them a million pounds down and I've cost them, you know? And so I began to feel it's not just that what you do is in service. It's like you have an obligation, really. If you have something that can bring value to other people, you know, so in your case, if you could help somebody open up their fist, I mean, that's literally life-changing for people. And once you have that, it begins to help you feel, you know, I've got a duty here. 
but also you have to feel it's appropriate yourself. So one of my favorite words in life is fair. Like things have got to be fair. Like everybody wants a deal, but nobody wants to be unfair. So if I'm talking to, well, so I remember Al actually, we had a chat a while ago when we were working together. You wanted me to do something for you. And it wasn't quite as big a value add because you could have maybe done it or other people could have done it. And we talked about the price and you said, uh, I don't want to pay you that. And I said, I understand that, but my other customers pay me that. So it's not fair on them if you don't. So if you don't think the return on investment is fine, then we shouldn't do it. But if you do think return on investment is fine, we should. But I can't give you 10% off because that's not fair on other people. Yeah. And so having that idea about fairness. So I think I should be paid a fair amount for the value I brought. And I think what I get paid is tiny compared to the value I brought. And I have evidence that backs that up. So that's how I do it. So I don't think I'm being overly selfless. I think I'm being... You know, I'll get a hundred quid and you can get a thousand quid and everyone's happy. I think that's I think that's a really important point and I'm curious whether where that extends beyond like a commercial reality. Like one of the things that I, I've noticed is that sometimes people have a hard find it difficult to just stand in their own truth and be like, This is just what looks fair to me. And to like in that situation, you were just like, Al, this is what looks fair to me. I might have not agreed with you. I might have agreed with you. But you were comfortable either way. Like what, would, what advice would you give to people who struggle to just kind of stand in their own truth and be like, well, this is just how I look at the world um, without feeling insecure about it? And I, I guess... That's what I'm curious about because I think there's lots of people listening who are thinking, Andy Bound sounds freaking amazing and I wish I could sound and feel as confident in that myself. What, what advice would you give them? What guidance to help them step into that way of being? So a uh, great question. Yeah, um, and it's very nice if anyone does say that because I think that's about them as well. So that's all lovely. So I go back to what I said before about afters and stories. So the best way to give yourself appropriate confidence. So not like unrealistic arrogance. So you see some, I don't know, some politicians around now, you're thinking, why are you talking with this? You've clearly been trained on how to do this, but it just doesn't feel authentic, you know? So it's got to be authentic. So look back at your past experiences and like ask, why are people better off after me? You know, and the best way, remember I said before, like ask, like go and speak to them. So one of my favorite conversations I ever had was I worked with a pharmaceutical company a while ago and I went back to them and said, you know, I'm doing a bit of research. I want to make sure about the value add I'm bringing. Do you mind if I ask you some questions about the work we've just done? They go, fine, fill your boots. What do you want to know? And so I was just asking them all and I said, like, what do you think has been the greatest value I brought to you? And I thought they'd say, well, you helped us sell this drug in America, which was worth about $2 billion. I was expecting they'd go straight to the money. But what they actually said was, a lot of people who work here, are, we've seen a lot of stuff here. We're sort of battle-hardened scientists. We look at things in a very, sometimes quite dispassionate way. And since you've come in, there's excited chatter in the corridor. Like we're seeing people who we never normally see smile, really buzzing with the energy of this. So what you brought to us is this. And I just thought they were going to talk about the $2 billion. It doesn't matter. We're a multi-billion dollar organization anyway. But actually getting people like this excited is incredible. And so... Asking other people about the afters you've delivered is really good because they'll teach you things you didn't know you didn't know. Yeah. And then I remember when we were changing our strap line for our company, 
I spoke to loads of our customers who knew me really well and said, I'm thinking of changing the strat line. I'm thinking it should be this. What do you think? And loads of our customers said, you're missing this out. You're missing this out. So I asked people who had had afters from me for their feedback. And that was the first thing, Al, because what it then does, it takes you outside of yourself then. So whether I do or I don't think I know what I'm doing, these people who I respect think I do know what I'm doing. You know? So ask people who've been on the receiving end of you what has been the greatest value because that gives you your afters, but it also gives you your stories. And sometimes our people will say, do you know what? I'll put that in writing for you. And you've now got a testimonial. After I worked with Andy Bounds, this happened. Since Andy taught me how to do this, this happened. Yet you could easily get someone saying, since I listened to your podcast, this has been the benefit that I've had. You were telling me a story before about someone who wrote a book and couldn't be bothered with writing the book. And then someone gave them feedback after I read your book. It just changed something in my life and everything was fine. Well, that's life-changing when you get feedback like this, right? So it's afters and stories, but ask other people about the value you've given them because it takes it away from your own feelings. Well, I love that. And I'm going to just say something. You don't sound very British. And what I mean by that is, I think that one of the things people have got to take on board is that you get to choose what stories you onboard what stories you tell and what stories you listen to both externally and internally and it's just struck me as you were saying that that our ability to actually hear them and onboard those stories when someone says you know what andy you just people have got more bounce in their steps they're happier at work since you started working with us it's the difference between some people going oh no that's not me and going Great, thanks, and onboarding that versus listening to sometimes the negative self-talk that I think gets in the way. Like that's what I'm hearing in this is like the power of ask the questions, listen, and choose. Choose to onboard them. And the more, like I'm hazarding a guess, the more you speak your stories, the more like they're just part of your being. And it can be the same for anyone, like the more practice they become in kind of asking questions, listening, and then speaking that back into the world, that their whole, their whole way of being shifts as a result. And I, I like, I, I'm curious to if that resonates with you or with, uh, with Bill, I was just to kind of, that's, that was my insight listening to you. It's a great way to put it because I, I think that, I mean, I'm, like really old now, I'm 54 and my knees don't work. I haven't got any hair and, you know, the years haven't been kind and all these sorts of things. And so I'm different at 54 than I was at 44. I'm not saying everyone, like, don't worry, everyone, you're not going to lose your hair. It's, it's a horrible thing. Oh, Mark, maybe. Um, so, what, <laughs> so what happens is that when I was younger, Al, when I got these stories, I would absorb them into myself, but then quite often I would say them you know, so if I was talking to a customer, whereas now I have such inner calm because maybe because I've been doing it for a while, I don't feel the need to say them. So to start with, I might have said them out loud quite a lot when someone's saying, well, why should I hire you? And I said, well, I don't know, but when I work with this pharmaceutical company, this happened. Do you think that will be useful for you? Whereas now, because I've been doing this so long and I feel really comfortable inside, I probably don't say it out loud very much anymore. I just have inner calm. And I'm not, it's like um, Kung Fu Panda. It's like inner peace. So I'm not saying that, that's something that people should aspire to because you've got to work, you've got to find what works for you. But unless you have afters and stories, you have no evidence that you deliver value. 
But did you notice the question I asked Al? I didn't say, give me feedback on our work together. Did you remember the question I said? Of all the stuff we've done together, what did you find added most value? So my question is, why was I useful? All right. And so when they say they're useful because you made doctors laugh, or if I say, give me some feedback, they might say, well, it was fine. So choice of questions gives you the right sort of value, yeah? Mm. Um, changing gears a little bit, Andy, because I'm uh, like, I guess there's two parts to this that, uh, and the stuff that we've covered today already has been immensely valuable. You live what I would consider an incredible life. You seem, um, you always seem to be happy. And I know that you're a family man. And uh, so I'm curious, like, what's the secret? Like, what's the secret to you living this life that you, that seems to be balanced and harmonious? And, you know, maybe it's all an illusion, but uh, it seems that you've got some of what people are after. Um, And so I'd be kind of curious to hear what insights you have about kind of the broad, your broader life experience and and what's at play there. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I am quite happy, like irritatingly so. I'm sure people who see me a lot. Uh, I'm quite a positive guy. So there are certain things I've taught myself over the years. I'm quite optimistic anyway. I'm quite bubbly. Um, But there's a few things I've found that help me. So, I'll give you two, and if you want any more than so, two, we'll do um, something which is quite sexy, and we'll do something which is extremely tedious, but both of them are really important. So we'll do the sexy one to start with. Um, I said before about afters and stories and all that stuff, but another thing which I try and live my life by is what I call yes-if thinking. So can you do something yes-if? So the first time I ever heard the sentence yes-if, I was reading a biography about Walt Disney, And he had this yes-if approach to life. So if someone says, can we build Disneyland? He would say, yes, if somebody else pays for it. Yes, if there are good transport links. Yes, if we partner with a TV studio. Yes, if we get celebrity endorsement. Yes, if, yes, if. And so he always looked at the, he just looked at the positives. He said like, yes, if he looked at the enablers. And he said that very often in life, people say no, because, you know, so can you build Disneyland? No, because we can't afford it. No, because we haven't got any transport links. No, because there's no celebrity endorsement. And the way I think about it, if Walt Disney can build Disneyland, well, I should be able to have a nice little life. And so I always think about, yes, if. So can I have a good work-life balance? Well, yes, if I really protect my time a lot. So when I'm doing work with respect to my family, they're not allowed in it. When I'm doing family with respect to my customers, they're not allowed in it. Yes, if I can be really good at, being positive. So for example, if I've had a hard day at work, before I go downstairs to see the kids, I'll just have a moment and think, if I was going to be the best dad in the world, how would I behave when I went downstairs? You know, what would the best dad in the world do now? He wouldn't go down and complain about how hard his work is. He probably would stay up here for a couple more minutes, cheer himself up before he went down, you know? And so having this sort of yes-if mentality, I find that really enabling out because it helps me like focus on the positive. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I'll do the boring thing, and then you can tell me what, if you want to talk about any more of this. So as well as thinking yes, if, and afters and stories and all that, the other thing, which is very boring, but it's very important, is to use two words beginning with D, diary and discipline. So my diary, my Outlook calendar, I'm really disciplined with what goes in it. So 
never, ever, ever will I do work before nine o'clock in the morning because I do the school runs and da, da, da. So I have my diary is blocked out family time until nine o'clock in the morning. I always want to make sure I have lunch breaks. So half an hour is blocked in. I always want to make sure I ring my customers I like best. So I've got time blocked in, ring my lovely customers. I get lots of energy from going outside. So I have time blocked in my diary, go outside. I get lots of energy from laughing. So sometimes I'll put in, it sounds daft this in my diary, watch something funny. So I like just go on YouTube and find Michael Muckett. I don't care what it is, just something. And so my diary is peppered with things that give me energy and richness of life and variety and happiness. So I don't fit my happy things around bloody work. I fit work around my happy things. All right, so I know before my week starts, I'm going to see the children every morning and every evening, and I'm going to have lunch, and I'm going to laugh a few times, and I'm going to speak to people like, and I'm going to learn some stuff, and I'm going to meet lovely people like you two, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and amongst all that, I'll fit in the day job. <laughs> I, I hope 80 billion people are listening to that. Yeah. Because everybody's operating model the, these days bar a lucky few, I think uh, is absolute haywire. I think that's fantastic. It is, Mark. And and when you think about it, people often talk about time management, but anytime I hear the word time, I think the word diary, you know, the Outlook calendar, because what you do with your time, like, I mean, all three of us are enjoying ourselves immensely here, but the fact is we're all busy chaps and we don't have time for this. But yet here we are because it's in the calendar. (laughs) <laughs> but the thing is, when people say they don't have time, it's almost like they're abdicating responsibility. I've heard people say, I didn't have time to prepare for that meeting. And it's almost like they're saying, it's not my fault. It's time's fault. If there'd been 25 hours in the day, I would have been all over it. Like, no, you wouldn't. It's, it's our fault. Our lives are our fault. Our diaries are our fault. So if I told you I didn't have time to prepare for that meeting, you say, yes, I know life's busy into Andy. But if I say I didn't schedule time in my diary to prepare for that meeting, then it sounds like it's my fault. So I want my life to be my fault. So people sometimes say to me things like, I don't like having back-to-back meetings in my diary. I think, well, don't put them in then. And they go, well, I just got invited to a meeting. It's a meeting's invitation. It's not a court summons. You don't have to go. Or you can say, I can't make the whole 30 minutes. Can I just do the first 25? Or I'll say I'm busy that day, but I can only help with those two things. Can you do them first? Because then I'll need to ring off. And if anyone who's hearing that is going, well, that won't work because, that's no because thinking. So I would say to all the 80 billion of you listening to this, apply yes if thinking. Can you free up two hours a week to give yourself a happier life? You're not allowed to say no because. Yes, if I had shorter meetings. Yes, if I was better at saying no to people. Yes, if I blocked time out to see the kids at bath time. Yes, if I asked someone who I respect to coach me and help me with this. Yes, if I got someone to check in to make sure I was doing it. Yes, if I bought all of Andy Bounds' books, 20 copies of each one, that should help, all right? Yes, if, yes, if, yes, if. What a wonderful gift to give 80 billion people listening to this. Each one saved two hours a week. That's 160 billion hours we've given the world. That's just this week, all right? Now, there's some powerful afters for you. And just building on that um, and, and where Al was going. So as a, a human being who is, I would argue, in flow a lot of the time, um, you're, you're, you're operating from that very comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you're 
probably not scaring yourself to thought to death with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a time in your evolution and in, in your in your growth in your development where you suddenly caught yourself observing yourself and going, ah, that's not me. That that narrative or that you know that narrative or that identity or whatever it is, that's actually not who I am. I have the ability to create the reality I want. Yeah, very much so. Um, a few things. So I started out sort of, I suppose you'd call it a corporate trainer, you know, like going to places, doing six-hour course on whatever. Um, and I realized after a bit I wasn't thinking in the right way and I wasn't actually that happy. I'd, I'd say to Mrs. Bounds on Sunday night, Sunday night, right, I'm off, I'll see you on Friday, because it was just, you know, so I wasn't at home enough, wasn't seeing uh, Mrs. Bounds enough. Um, I was being successful, but it, but I wasn't, you know, so the money was fine, but nothing else was. So I've begun seeing that's not what I'm like. I read that thing about the yes if thing, and then very soon afterwards, I read something, and then I started researching it, and it was all about the way your brain works. And, and basically, so I've read loads of this. So extremely simply, your brain often thinks in twos. You know, you think fight or flight. You think of two options. And if both of them are rubbish, you think there's nothing you can do. So clearly there's more than two options. So if you can train yourself to think in threes, thinking what happens is your brain then begins to open up and you think of more things. So when I was stuck in this um, lucrative rut of doing full day training, I then applied the yes if thinking and I thought, right, I need to think of at least three solutions to this. But when I say three, I really mean about 10. So I got a drink of my favorite drink, which was great because it was gin. So I had a fine old time. And I just got a piece of paper and a pen and I wrote down as many things I could do as possible to change my life, right? So number one, stop this job I'm doing now. Number two, keep going as I am doing forever. Number three, not work Fridays anymore. Number four, stop doing full-time training. Number five, see if I could do some stuff remotely. Number six, see if I could outsource any of it. Number seven, number eight, number nine. And I just went down and I spent ages on this, Mark. And in the end, I came up with 27 things I could do. And it was really the most empowering thing I've ever done in my life, actually, because I thought there was nothing I could do. But after a pint of gin, (laughs) hey, There was 27 things I could do. I mean, I couldn't read them and I burst into tears afterwards, but it was all fine. So once I got these 27 things, I looked at the 27 things and I asked myself two questions, both beginning with S, size and speed. So size, which of these would have a big impact and speed, which would be easy. So I've got 27 things and I look at them, which of these would have a big impact and which would be easy. And I graded each one like super fast, super speed, whatever it might be. And by the time I'd done that, there was about five or six things that were all huge and were all instant. And so I just did them. And that is a really good way to change your life, I find. So don't be lazy. Stop at two or three things and think there's nothing I can do. You get a piece of paper and a pen and a pint of gin, and you think, I'm not allowed to stop until I've got 10 good ideas. And if you can't get any on your own, like, ring me up or ring you up, Mark, or ring you up, Al. Like, just talk to clever people and come up with as many ideas as you can. And then you look through this list of ideas and you choose the thing that S, as a good size, is going to have a big impact. 
an S speed is not going to be too onerous to do. And then just crack on. Like, so I'm just like listening to that and I'm with you. So it's like, come up with more than two, create the list and bloody do stuff. Like don't, if it, don't not do the things that you then see to do. What do you think gets in people's way? And if you were master of the universe and could drop something into their awareness that might just blow that up, what would it be? Okay, the single biggest thing that ruins everything is habits. Yeah? So human beings, we're all creatures of habit. The way your brain works, it wants to automate stuff. Yeah, because that way it doesn't need to occupy itself with things you've done. So when you clean your teeth in the morning, you don't pick up your toothpaste and put it in your hair, right? Because you know what to do. So you do it without thinking. So your brain seeks to automate stuff. And that's good with things like cleaning teeth. It's not very good for the Monday morning update meeting that we have with our team and everybody hates. Because we just will have another one next week, even though everybody hates it. It's just stupid. But like, so with respect, that's just stupid. Why would you keep doing something it hates? Like every time I bang the head with this piece of paper, it really hurts. But I'm going to keep doing it though, because you're just getting habits. So habits trump logic. They trump common sense. They trump everything. They're the most powerful thing there is. I mean, I've seen salespeople who have said, Andy, I've created a proposal by copying last week's proposal and changing the logo of the client name. And I go, that's really clever. Let me just ask you, the proposal you copied last week, did it win the sale? And quite often I'll they go, no, it didn't. You're like, why are you copying something that lost? I mean, it's stupid. <laughs> like, why would you do that? It's just stupid. But like we're creatures of habits. So the single biggest problem are the habits that we're in. And it's very easy to assume that we're doing best practice. We're not. We're doing habit practice. We're doing usual practice. I bet most emails that we all write look quite similar to the emails we wrote last week, even if they didn't work. I remember where we were, this last example, I feel quite passionate about this. At the place where we first met, the three of us, um, there was a gentleman who came up to me and said, Andy, I'm really struggling to get through to this client. I've written nine different emails and he hasn't replied to any. What do you advise I write in the 10th email? It's like, stop emailing him. <laughs> like, do something else. So the thing that the thing that causes the problem, Al, is there's lots of things like, you know, you might not get your diary right. You might think no because instead of yes, if you might not have heard of afters, you might not have done stories. But the thing that underpins why we do what we do with the habits that we're in. All right. So if I could do one thing, uh, to put my magic hat on to change the universe, it will be to educate people how they change their habits. There's three things you need to do. All right. Uh, number one, prioritize. So what do you need to change? So of all the things you could change, you list your 27 things, have your pint of gin, work out the things that are going to have the biggest impact. So that's the first thing to do. Prioritize what you need to change. Secondly, diarize. You need to put it in your diary because otherwise you're not going to have time to do it. You'll get to the end of the week and say, couldn't do it. It's not my fault. It's time's fault. Okay. So number one, prioritize what you need to change. So come with a big list, choose your best one. Number two, diarize, put it in your diary. And number three, socialize, get someone to hold you to account. Because we all know that if you have a reminder in your diary and you can't be bothered that day, you're just going to press dismiss. So you need a coach, you need one of you, so you need somebody to check in with you every week and go, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? So those three words, they all end in eyes. They're quite easy to remember. Prioritize. So what do you need to change? Secondly, diarize. You need to go in your diary every week. And then socialize. Who's going to hold you to account? Because if any of those three are missing, 
I can guarantee three months from now, you'll be in exactly the same habits you are now. Can I jump back to something that, that came up for me or bubbled up for me when you right at the top of this conversation? And, you know, when you were explaining the world to your mum, she obviously, she loved you and, and, and well, I'm assuming she loved you. She banned um, she <laughs> and, uh, and she, she obviously trusted you. And, and one of the, one of the key things that I, I'm intrigued by is to what extent does the work you do around communication really hinge on building trust and psychological safety between and, and, and authentic human connections because of the nature of the conversation or the questions or the curiosity or the style of communication? Yeah, it's essential. Um, now, how you build trust. Trust is one of these things. It's an outcome. You can't just build trust. You have to do something that causes trust to happen, right? It's like when people say, I want to be more confident when I do presentations, Andy, as I'm going to say, well, there you go. Confidence complete. Confidence is like trust. You have to do stuff to cause these things to happen. So what we do is with trust, we think like when we're preparing for our meetings with people, our conversations with people, the thing to do is think, what can I do so they feel as at ease as quickly as possible? Yeah. And there's various things that you can do. One of them is work out how you're going to start the meeting. Like, how are you going to ice break it? How are you going to have a nice conversation? What can you say that shows a bit of a connection with them, which is appropriate? Another thing you can do is when the time's right, is you can make sure that you ask good questions that show absolute passionate interest in them. And make sure you say, tell me more, get them speaking, right? Another thing you can do to build trust is talk about stories or teaching. In other words, if someone says they've got a particular challenge and you say, oh, I heard someone else say that recently. Do you mind if I tell you what I told them? All right. So there's stories there. There's empathy. Or I could teach them something and say, one thing I've seen that people often find helpful is X or Y. Do you think either of those might help you? So I'm trying to give value as soon as I can in the conversation. I want a good introduction. I want a good first impression. I want to ask good questions. I want to tell them stories that reassure them. I want to teach them things, all this sort of stuff. But if you do what most people do, which is what I like to call show up and throw up. So you just turn up and you just verbally vomit stuff over people. Well, they probably hate you. Yeah. So spend a disproportionate amount of time early on making sure the other pe person feels comfortable because if they do, you will and you should be fine. Love it. How, do you, how does this translate to how you are as a dad, Andy? Uh, so that's a good uh, question. And again, it's all about um, talking to them on levels they will understand. It's really easy when you talk to a child to apply adult logic. You, you've all seen adults say to children, you really could do with going to bed soon because you need a good night's sleep so you're ready for school tomorrow. I mean, has any 10-year-old ever said, thanks for pointing out that adult logic. Of course I'll have a good night's sleep. <laughs> Shall I tidy my toys in a neat pile so I can find them easily in the morning? Said no child ever. So what I do is I always make sure that I'm trying to talk to them. Like, it's easy to think children are small adults. They're not. They're, they're sort of like different beings, right? They think of things differently than we do. So if I'm talking to child four, I mean, I know we should give our children names, but like, if I want to talk to child four, what's he interested in? He's interested in sport. He's interested in competition. He's interested in beating me. He likes me to read stories to him at bedtime. 
So I'm always thinking, how can I say things that will resonate with him? So if I want him to go to bed, I don't say go to bed because he don't want to go to bed, but I'll say things like, because he's competitive, hey, child four, I've hidden your book in your bedroom and you don't know where it is. And I bet you can't find it before I count to 10. And then he's just off. You know, so I don't know why, but I find it extraordinarily easy to empathize with childish people. <laughs> and maybe <laughs> that's, that's a secret thing no one's telling me here. But that's the thing. Try and see the world through their side of the beach ball, right? They, they view the world differently. Mum can't see it all, so I need to explain certain things to them. Uh, Tom can't see the world the way a 54-year-old man would, so I need to sort of really think in his shoes. So it's just listening, empathizing, all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, like I love that. I'm, that's why I wanted to ask the question because it all comes back to the thing that you pointed to right at the beginning. No one sees the world in the same way. So genuinely try and get into someone else's shoes. And, you know, it's you use the word just, it's just listening and empathy. And it's like, or it's all of that without the word. I like to me, it's like, it's, it's all of that. Not, it's not even just that it's that. And we underestimated, I think. Yeah. It's like, if people, like what I'm hearing in this is if every single person just could on board, no one sees the world the same way ever get really interested in what the perspective of the other person, whether that's your kids, your wife, your husband, your customers you're likely to have a far better outcome than if you try and force your own agenda or if you're locked in your own thinking. Is that, like, is that, that, that seems to be right at the heart of everything. Is that, like, that seems to be right at the heart of everything that you practice. It is, yeah. And there's various ways that you can say it. I mean, my wonderful mother described this very well. She said, because um, I said to her a while ago, how come you know everyone's business, mum? Like you just talk to everyone about everything and people will tell you things. How do you do that? And she said, what you've just said there, Al, she said, I just find out what other people are interested in and then I talk about that. I thought, brilliant, here I am. When am I going to be able to do my bloody job? 25 years I've been doing it and that's the best summary of what it is. <laughs> you find out what they're interested in, and then you talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like if you, I mean, let's boil it down. If you're writing a proposal in the sales world, how would you apply that to proposals? So if one of you two says, Andy, can you write me a proposal? I'll say, uh, sure, what do you want in it? What are the main headings you want in it? And you'll say, can you put in X and Y? I go, yeah, all right then. And so now you've got something that you want. So I find out what you're interested in. I'll talk about that. No one does this in the sales world. When they do a proposal, just copy last week's, yeah? Or they do 20 slides and they don't ask, do you want 20 slides or not? If they go to a meeting with someone, how often does someone get in contact and say, I'm looking forward to our meeting next week. What are the main two or three things you'd like me to bring with me? How can I best help? Nobody does that. And so find what the other person's interested in. Talk about that is a really good rule for life, I think. And the best way to make sure you're doing that is to ask the question, tell me more, more than you do. Andy, I'm conscious that um, we are coming up to the end of our time. And um, actually, given everything you've just talked about, I'm, we're not going to run over. Um, we have a closing tradition, which we've not told you about in advance, which is um, if you could come up with a bumper sticker for life, what would your bumper sticker be? Or what would it say? It would say, focus everything on their afters and then everyone will be happy. 
So find where other people want to be after you and bust a gut to help them get there and everyone will love you for it and they'd benefit more than you ever could. So focus on their afters and do everything you can to help them get them. Beautiful. Fantastic. Uh, Andy, this has been a riot. It's gone by in the blink of an eye. Um, uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming and joining us. Uh, I hope everyone listening, like I'm sat here just looking at like the little gems like that for me, when you said, don't fit happy stuff around work, fit work around the happy stuff. And I was like, huh, that's a great idea. And so I just love this. So many nuggets. And we talk about practice here all the time. And it's so easy to lose sight of. And what you've just been like showcasing is the powerful practices that if people just put them into play, it really can change their lives. And we've experienced you changing people's lives. And, and I've no doubt that people listening to this, um, if they, when they hear it and do it, um, their lives will shift. So I want to just say thanks very much. It's been, it's been fun and uh, a pleasure. Cool. Matt, I've enjoyed it. No, thank you both very much, gents. No, I, I echo those sentiments. And Andy, it's just wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, as Al said, you know, d dispensing meaningful, tangible ways people can go and practice. And hopefully the listeners put it into play because uh, we know it makes a hell of a difference. So thank you so much. You're a gem. Cool. You're welcome. All the best. Cheers, folks. That wraps up this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. No doubt. Um, We'll look forward to hearing any stories you may have about putting Andy's wisdom into practice. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>